Welcome to the Modern Futures Podcast. Humanity is evolving at a pace never seen before. Join futurist Nicholas Badminton as he discusses how new ideas and developments impact us today, how they will make tomorrow more productive, and how they can make life a little more challenging. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Modern Futures Podcast with me, Nicholas Badminton. I'm a futurist and I'm here with the founder of uh, Spring, Keith Ippel. Hi Keith, how are you? Great Nick, how are you? Yeah, I'm great, thanks. Good. Just to get things rolling, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, your history, um, what Spring is and a little bit about an event that's happening in Vancouver right now. Yeah, sounds good. So my background, I uh, came from a tech uh, startup uh, ecosystem. I uh, spent 10 years in tech and then when I decided to take a sabbatical, I did the classic, let me take six months and give back. You know, so right. the classic capitalist by day, philanthropist by night. Right. And one month into my six month sabbatical, I realized that there was a disconnect between what I was doing from nine to five and who I am as a person and what we try and do as human beings. Uh, especially during the day and during the weekends and during the evenings with our family and with nonprofits and with giving back. And so that really led me on a two-year journey to launch Spring. And Spring is really the intersection between that passion as well as my skills and experience around early stage companies. So we work with high growth potential entrepreneurs to launch and change the world. And our goal fundamentally is to make the topic of impact mainstream. Uh, so we, when we run events, we always love to ask two questions. The first question is how many people in the room are an impact entrepreneur? And we usually get a maximum of 15% of the people will raise their hand. And then I ask the second question. I say, now, how many of you want to make the world a better place? And invariably almost hundred percent of the people raise their hand. And then I say, congratulations, you're all impact entrepreneurs. Let's talk about how to weave that in your day to day. And so that's really where we are. And so impact week which is happening right now under the banner Startup City Impact. So it's a collaboration between Spring and the Vancouver Economic Commission is really a week long celebration of people who are trying to make the world a better place through their early stage and, and more established businesses, opening people's minds and eyes up to the possibility of how they can weave impact into their job today and how they can weave that into ideas that they're thinking about starting as a business. Yeah, so, so this idea of impact, is it just restricted to like early stage companies and startups? Surely larger companies that are more established have to start thinking about this kind of philosophy as well, right? Well, they definitely have to be. So it's really on two fronts, right? Millennials are considered to be the purpose generation and the choice generation. Right. So they're not gonna do anything they don't wanna do and they wanna do things that they believe in and have purpose. And within 10 years, they're gonna represent 75% of the economic power uh, through jobs, through families, uh, through births. And so businesses absolutely must respond to this topic of purpose and impact if they want to attract millennials, both as consumers as well as employees. Mm -hmm. So there's no doubt. The interesting thing is that there is a second trend, which is baby boomers, right? As they're heading into their final phase of career, you know, they're saying, hey, I want to give back. And so they need to have vehicles and mechanisms by which they do that. 
and the best ones will choose the companies and the opportunities that allow them to do it. I mean, what, what, are, the, what are the principles that, that underlie impact? You know, what, what are the three to five principles or whatever that, that anyone starting a business today can think, okay, I do want to make an impact. I do want to make a change. You know, I need to follow these three rules or these five rules. I mean, what do you suggest around that? Yeah, so I think there's a few things. Uh, first is your values need to be your company values. Right, they need to be inextricably linked uh, because that will actually guide both the products and services that you deliver as well as how you deliver it. So that is guiding principle number one. Right. Guiding principle number two is it is innate in human nature that we want to help others around us. And so what we need to do is we need to actually give ourselves the space to see how that's possible in our work, whether it's within the product or service that we're selling or it's in how we do business. And then I think the third guiding principle is one of legacy. I think innate in most humans is a desire to leave their mark on the planet. And we have a choice on how we're gonna do that. And so when people start to think about legacy and they think about their mark on the planet, that's a place where they have an opportunity to view impact. So those are the three real guiding principles that, you know, interestingly enough, in the history of mankind, they're innate. Right, they are as a core part of us, and it's really now about us rediscovering that in the workplace now in the 21st century. So, so what do you think sort of um, sort of pushed them under underground a little bit, or sort of secondary? I mean, do you think it's the push of profits, the idea that we have to deliver shareholder value, that the idea that we have to pay back the people that gave us seed money, the people that gave us BC, you know, um, the, the different rounds of financing. Do you think that those get in the way of what we're trying to do? Because if we move to a model of impact, we, we, might be cash, we might be cash neutral. We might be able to pay everyone in our organization. We might be able to pay a little bit of a return and do some real good for the world. But, you know, do you think that people are gonna see that as a successful business? Right, I'm, I'm so glad you asked this question. <laughs> that is, the greatest challenge that I think we as individuals and then as economy face is the belief that there needs to be a separation between for-profit and impact. And so I actually don't believe that the profit motive is the driving force be behind where we are today. I think the driving force is the sense that there was an exclusivity where you are either for-profit or you are impact. And the reality is there's absolutely no reason why that needs to be the case. The benefit that we have is we do have some fantastic businesses now that are for-profit entities, things like Whole Foods, things like Costco, for example. A lot of people don't think of Costco as, a, as an impact business. They're one of the uh, largest retailers of organic and fair trade. They're one of the largest retailers of 100 Mile Diet. Uh, they are also one of the highest rated uh, big box retailers for employee satisfaction and community giving. Yeah. So not only in the products and services, but also in how they run the business, they're impactful, incredibly profitable organization. So I think what we need actually is a return to the realization that they're not mutually exclusive, they're actually mutually beneficial. Because what I find is that people who want to change the world recognize that in order to make the world a better place and to change the world, you actually need to survive long enough to change it. Right. And the only way you're going to effectively change the world is to make sure that you're generating the income required to do it, which tends to mean that you're going to be a large, profitable organization where 
the products and services will change the world, but because you're profitable, you can reinvest into the business and into your people and into your communities. And therefore how you run will also be impactful. Yeah. So do, so do you think because, because there is this overarching need to, to extract profits, if you do invest or you are a shareholder, do you think we're, we're heading into an age where, you know, we're seeing companies like Airbnb and Uber taking huge swathes of money but remaining ostensibly private with, with private, private shareholders, right? People like Facebook would have stayed that way, but they took too many shareholders, they had to go public. But now you, you, you see them actually starting to do some good in the world through a lot of uh, initiatives that Mark Zuckerberg pushes out there. You've got Microsoft with uh, the Bill, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. But, but it's, it seems to me that as we structure these businesses, it's difficult for them to switch to impact so they, they do offshoots and foundations and things like that. Do, do you think that legitimizes the impact of a larger organization if you suddenly have foundations attached to them? Uh, would you call that an impact-based business? Just because you know that arm over there does take some of the money that we take out of here and gives it, well, I think something like Bill and Melinda Gates gave away something ridiculous like $26 billion so far, right? You know, it's interesting. If I try and find a reasonable analogy, I think you are talking about uh, data points that reflect, I think, the birth pangs of a new uh, model of funding businesses and funding change. Right. So what used to be a very traditional model of my own back pocket, friends and family, angel investors, IPO, uh, maybe venture capital in between, that model is deconstructing very quickly. So on one hand, you talked about the use of foundations. Another thing that we're seeing is foundations that are now very actively investing in for-profit entities, no longer the exclusive domain of foundations investing in nonprofits. Um, the rise of crowdfunding, the rise of equity crowdfunding, the rise of other democratic means of accessing capital. Um, these are all vehicles whereby entrepreneurs can now say, you know what, I can do this differently and I can do it in the way that I think is right. So one of the other things that you alluded to with Uber, for example, is these traditional quote unquote exits uh, where I might IPO or I might be acquired. That is deconstructing quickly. So I think what we're going to find is that five years from now, we're going to look back and realize that those traditional methods may still exist, but it will probably exist only for a very small subset of businesses, both uh, small and emerging or large and well-established because People are saying the traditional means do not give me A, the flexibility and B, the access to the capital and the people and the strategic value that allow me to change the world the way that I want to change it. And one thing that Uber realized is that if they went public, there's no way they could try and change the world they want to change. You and I can debate the pros and cons of how they're doing it, but they realized that it was really important for them to stay private, to allow them the flexibility and the relentless commitment to that change. Yeah. And so I think we're just gonna to continue to see more of that in the, in the months and years to come. It's like a belief economy, right? We it have, is. We have to keep it, we have to keep it within our family because the family and the people that use our services and believe in us, together we can change the world. Correct. Once it goes out onto, floats onto the stock market, right? Wherever it's NASDAQ or wherever then you are, you're riding on that turbulent sea, right? And yeah. say if there's, for example, Uber, the deal with the Saudis, if, that, if they were in a public company and the Saudis would have bought a, a huge stake in that company, that would have caused huge eruptions. 
Now, all the ruptures are still like, out there and all the controversy is still out there. And there's a lot, a lot of people looking at that, but it's private. It's private business, right? And it, yeah. it's that belief. So, so really, are, are we looking at a world where the S&P 500 in 20 years time kind of might be undermined by the fact that actually some of the most valuable companies in the world, around the world, might actually be impact-based businesses that keep their investors very close to themselves so they can drive that belief and the change in the world. Yeah, and, and I think what you'll find is there might be an S&P 500 and there might be an impact 500. And the other piece too is that those vehicles are probably no longer going to be the mainstream way that large businesses provide liquidity and funding for themselves. And in particular, because they're not actually going to be the mainstream way that people are going to seek ways to invest their own money and to seek returns. Right. So on the other end of the spectrum, I recently invested in a um, green charcoal company in Africa. And I was able to do that online and I was able to determine the company that I wanted to invest in, how I was gonna invest, what the returns would look like, engage on an ongoing basis with that entrepreneur who's, who is born and raised and running a fantastic entrepreneurial venture in Africa. I mean, that was not possible seven years ago, full stop. And now it's actually becoming mainstream. So how does that fit in light of the S&P 500 or an impact 500 or the NASDAQ? They will become niche mechanisms by which certain types of companies get funded and there will be in entirely new constructs. So, so thinking about that as well, you've got Peter Diamandis talking about abundance, you've got exponential technologies, which are like, you know, hot, you know, that idea of abundance and, and, and exponential technologies and entrepreneurs coming forward and, and pushing the world to change, to, to use different platforms and to use devices or to have different models, like for example, the, you know, the, this organic charcoal business in Africa, yeah. right? Which is still a technology, it's turning wood into something that burns for, for longer and hotter, right? Yeah. Um, and a lot of people stop thinking of technology as being some of the more simplistic things. But like when you've actually got the, the, these worlds of exponential change and abundance, we're assuming that this, this, all this change happens very quickly. So in the scheme of things with Spring, if, if I just look at some of the stats on Spring, you, you've got programs running in over 30 cities in five continents with over 140 entrepreneurs and over 110 businesses have been launched, right? So I mean, that, that's got an impact from an from a, um, employment perspective. It's got potential impact from each of those businesses not only creating jobs, but actually creating an impact and providing great service and maybe things that change lives around the world. Do we have to have that global view? Because, hey, we're just here in Vancouver, right? Yeah. No, you know, it's interesting, right? Vancouver, one of the biggest issues that people are talking about today is, is the affordability crisis. And the affordability crisis is a here and now issue that the city of Vancouver is facing, the citizens of Vancouver are facing, but really is a microcosm of where this city is going in the future. This city is in the, these growing pains and in the motions of becoming a global cosmopolitan city. What we lack in the tech community and in the startup community is a startup ecosystem and startup support organizations that actually act on a global stage actively promoting Vancouver-based companies to the world and actively bringing the best of the world to Vancouver. Whether the best of the world uh, is software developers or marketing people or accountants, or it's the best of capital and access partnerships, uh, strategic acquirers, etc. And so, so for us, we believe that that is a crucial addition that needs to be put into Vancouver. 
and and what we're excited about is the first one that's doing it is impact mm. right where we are talking about this belief economy and we are talking about how uh, people like the millennials and the boomers have an opportunity either to be purposeful and choosing or to be giving back and so for us it's absolutely required yeah okay. so I, I kind of like to look at the world as a, a world stage as well and I know that there's a lot of like oh you know the value won't come up here and like where's, where's the funding and then you've got the, the new uh, corridor that's being uh, touted between Toronto and Kitchener-Waterloo. I was in Kitchener-Waterloo a couple of weeks ago. They've got an incredible amount of facilities out there at Communitech and a lot of a lot of businesses on board and it's it's incredible. And you can live in, you know, I think you can buy a house in Kitchener for- A couple hundred grand. <laughs> a couple right? hundred grand, yeah. right? And you know, it's not a bad place to live and, and it's, it's a really interesting thing, but why don't we just break break these boundaries? Why don't we stop talking about ourselves as this city here and this city here, and and just talking to ourselves in an abstract sense? And why why can't these you know these investors and businesses and everyone? Why can't we just elevate ourselves into an abstract sense of like this is our world, this is what we want to do? Why can't we just let that money and and support and business flow a lot better? Because for me, maybe that's what's going to cause the most impact. Yeah. So. Usually the conversation that I have with people, and this is where I think impact and lead the charge is when we're looking for customers and when we're looking for partners and when we're looking for investors, we say to ourselves, Hey, here's my vision. Here's how I'm going to change the world. I'm looking for people who are values aligned. As soon as you say that, whether they're customers or partners or investors, you immediately ignore geography, right? Because you're looking for people who want to change the world, whether it's in virtual reality, augmented reality, uh, alternative ways of doing grocery stores like Brianne Miller in town, zero waste market, right? A grocery store without packaging, right? right? Uh, these are fantastic examples. That's actually a, a great starting point. And one thing that I'll share with you is, you know, investors, they have a constant complaint. Investors say there's not enough deal flow. There, there's not enough companies for me to invest in. Where on the other end of the spectrum, the, the companies are saying there's not enough money around. And the reason is because they're not thinking from a values-based perspective. They're thinking, I need to raise money in my locale. So there is a certain amount of, for lack of a better term, Canadianism, you know, uh, and as a born and raised Canadian, right? We tend to be conservative. We tend to be a little bit provincial in our mindset, and we need to continue to break that down. And I think people who are thinking in terms of belief and impact have the ability to say, I'm just looking for like-minded people that starts to break down the ge- geographic boundaries. As soon as you do it once, then you're never coming back. You're, you're going to do it consistently. Whether you have your HQ in Vancouver or Kitchener-Waterloo or Toronto or Montreal or Whitehorse-Yukon is irrelevant, right? You're just going to constantly connect with fantastic people all over the world. Yeah. So, so does, it, it, do we need a new kind of investor, a, a new global mindset where everyone talks about 10x, 15x, 20x return, right? From the get-go, oftentimes, right? And right. When, when you're building a business, we know it takes a long, long time. The best businesses and the biggest businesses in the world, they weren't created in like five years. It's like, you know, it took 15 years to create this startup kind of, kind of phrase, right? Are we, are we moving away from, from that idea of, of I, I must have X amount of return from this investment? I mean, you talk about deal flow and all these things. What about the people that just, just believe Believe and they, they stop looking at the numbers. Sure, they, they do the diligence and un- understand that where their money goes, goes to the right place. But 
are you seeing a change? Are you seeing that there are certain venture capitalists or investors starting to stand up, you know, more, more publicly and say, you know what, I'm putting this money in because I believe in this. I'm not expecting to have the biggest return from this, but I do expect this to be a successful business and success to me is, is what we're talking about with impact and like, yeah. you know, people before profits and real change yeah. in the world. Yeah. No, you know what? Um, look at Y Combinator. Right. If, if we think about people who are in the earlier stages, Y Combinator has been accepting nonprofits into their cohorts, the last several cohorts. Um, they have an amazing uh, city initiative underway um, in California right now. They are saying, you know what, we're not exclusively investing in 10, 20, 50x returns. And so, you know, they are a bellwether example of this. It's important to note that within our world, we have pendulum swings and then we have the undercurrent foundational shifts. So it's kind of like, you know, I remember in the 70s, you know, you had 22 foot long Cadillacs. And then when we got to the, the oil crisis, then, you know, we started to see small cars come and then cyclically we see it happen every time. So last year there were a lot of big SUVs kicking around. And so that's a great sign that we're probably going to see the pendulum swing again. So human nature, we see the pendulum swing, but there's also foundational shifts. And the foundational shift is coming demogra demographically through millennials, through baby boomers. You are seeing people like uh, Better Ventures, Purpose Capital, Renewal Funds. You're seeing um, RBC, for example, the Royal Bank of Canada has a social impact fund now that they're deploying into the marketplace. Uh, we are looking at mutual funds uh, that are consistently becoming more mainstream as ethical funds. So no longer just saying green, but they're saying ethical, mm. like we're making the world a better place. So you are seeing an underlying foundation shift. So don't be surprised if a part of human nature seven years from now says I'm back to 20x. Right. But what you'll find is, is that that foundational shift will be happening and it'll be happening because of demographics and also the data points. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you touch on ethics as well. Organizations, and they've used to, there's terms been bandied around like greenwashing and whatever. And what happens when larger organizations that might not be doing the best for the world start to diversify their portfolios by bringing in companies that are actually um, providing impact. Is there a line that a company that, that follows an impact philosophy needs to draw? You know, for example, I, I think I read recently there was um, there's a coalition between Monsanto and Organic Food Growers Association in the US. They were going to send a bunch of uh, um, journalists on a junket and it was like, what, wait one second, okay. Yeah. Th this is counter to everything. So with impact, you know, and you've got all these Amazing, the young entrepreneurs are driving some change, but there's money in these large organizations that might not be as ethical, but they want to have some of that pie to, to make themselves seem more ethical from portfolio mix. What do we do? Because it's good to help those companies change and maybe we can change them from the inside. But do we say, actually stop, we, we can't work with you because that's, that, that doesn't fit our values. Yeah. And e even if they say, well, we're going to change and we're going to do this. And it's like, but we still can't work with you until we've seen that for X amount of time. Right. You know, what do we do in that situation? Right. So you, you touch on such a core piece of humanity. And it, the reality is, is that we have this interplay right now, especially between technology and morals and ethics. And frankly, I think a third dimension, which is human spirituality and community. And so 
the reality from my perspective is, you know, there are companies out there that are frankly doing some really not good stuff. Monsanto, uh, Coca-Cola, Philip Morris, you take your pick. Uh, and they are doing these investments. And so frankly, I think even 20 years ago, they could make those investments and no one could draw a direct line between the good part and the bad part. And now with social media and with transparency and visibility, now consumers and uh, potential employees and investors actually will have an opportunity to say, no, 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 I, I know I can see exactly what's happening here. Some companies are legitimately trying to move in the right direction. Some are absolutely greenwashing. And so I think it's actually a test of our, our global ethical construct and as well as our spiritual and community um, DNA that will challenge us to decide where at a certain point in time, do we look at a Monsanto or do we look at a Coke and say, you know what, that's actually not good enough. Mm. And will we speak with our jobs? Will we speak with our votes? And will we speak with our investment dollars? My belief is we will. And the important part is how do we do it in a way that allows people to come in an inclusive and in a progressive way, as opposed to being overreactive and, and being unnecessarily negative on either front. Right. And I think, I think it's our ethics and it's our spirituality and our community that will help us to overcome those negative points. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, back in the day, late 1800s, early 1900s, we built businesses that were based on community and spirituality. And by spirituality, we're not talking about the church, right? We're no. talking about the spirituality of connection between humans and the belief that we can do good within each other and there's positive energy and the more positive energy you put in, the better positive energy you actually get out. That, that, that to me is a, a really interesting thing. So, I mean, how do you, how do you engender that? Because people don't think about spirituality. People understand what community is. Right. But do people understand what spirituality means in the modern, in the modern context of business? Well, there's no way that they do um, as a whole. And the reason for that is because the modern context of business, frankly, is maximum of 130 years old. And so, but mankind has been around for literally thousands upon thousands of years. And so, so the reality is, is that our, our spiritual construct, so to your point about, you know, the church and so forth, that spiritual con construct has fundamentally changed. Yep. And so now I think as a, as a people, we're, we're not only trying to figure out the spiritual context in business, we're trying to figure out the spiritual context in life and how we do connect as people. How, how we connect spiritually as people, how we connect spiritually with our planet. Um, and, and importantly, we have to weave that into business because our businesses have values. They reflect us. So we are spiritual beings by nature, especially in community. And so it has to weave in. And so I think the more that we start to recognize that, the more that our values will get baked into our business and the more we'll actually be having an impact. So... But we can't be afraid of that. We can't, we can't as a community say, oh, if it's impact, it's got to be nonprofit or, oh, spirituality means the church. Like it's not like neither one of those yeah. is true statements. It's, it's complete bullshit. Yeah. Right. So what we need to do is we need to say, okay, what is this new world? And I can actually start doing it today, even though it's, you know, 11 o'clock, you know, what can I start doing at noon to reflect my values? I might just be throwing some stuff in the compost. Easy to start.
Right. Uh, and that's it. And this isn't, <laughs> I'm going to go and do yoga this morning, which makes me more spiritual. And then I'm going to go and cut five deals and then cut this partner out and do this. Right. It's, exactly. It's, again, it, it, it's not like, you know, the panacea for all ills and suddenly, you know, we, we, we cleanse our business. Right. And, and that's really, that's really, really important to, to think about this. I mean, ju- just to wrap this up a little bit, we're thinking about this impact. It's actually really interesting where this conversation has gone. Mm. It's gone very much from like, Here's a global community, all these businesses, people before profits and, and these philosophies and, and thinking about the, those initial principles. And now to the point where we impact actually means ethics and spirituality and community working together to, live, to deliver positive change, right? You bet. And that also means that we're going to attract consumers that think that way. And the more consumers that think that way create other consumers that start to think that way because of community and spirituality and how we bonded together. So to me, it feels like a, a cyclical in, interaction as well. Yeah. I mean, in, in wrapping up this conversation, what do you think the most important leave behind is for people that are listening about impact and saying, okay, if you've got an idea, I want to get started. How do they even start before, before they even come and knock on your door? Yeah, it's great. So they really start with their North Star. You know, Simon Sinek, you know, the classic TEDx talk, uh, you know, start with the why. Why do you want to do what you want to do? Why are you dissatisfied with what you're doing today? And who am I? So if I say who I am and why I want to do what I want to do, that is the fundamental starting point. And then really at that point in time, what you need to do is then just say to yourself, if I know who I am, my values, and I know why I want to change the world, then it's just, and I'm going to say this very specifically, it's just a matter of finding an idea that allows you to manifest that. There are many problems in the world to be solved, whether these are problems of convenience or of structural inequality or anything in between. But your goal really is to find an idea, which might be your own, it might be another person's, already a pre-established company, where you say, you know what? This reflects who I am and why I want to change the world. And those are two fantastic conversations. And really the first step is talk to your friends, talk to your family. If you're in a relationship, talk to your partner. These are people who know you better than anybody else and say, who do you think I am? What do you think I stand for? And those are very simple conversations. Most people can find out these answers in three hours or less. It's fantastic. Coming back, I mean, Gandhi said this, right? A man is but the product of his thoughts of what he thinks he becomes. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about a little bit here. It's about standing by what we believe, but taking that into our work life. If we truly believe that other people can be impacted by something we can create, we create that and then they use that and then maybe they can go ahead and create impact businesses themselves. So I'd like to say thank you very much, Keith Hipple. Um, founder of Spring University, um, Spring Incubator here in Vancouver, BC. Good luck with the Startup City Impact, Impact. Week. Yeah. And I'll speak to you again. Thank you. I really appreciate the time, Nick. Thanks okay, a lot. Thanks.